sport is always short term, right? No matter how long you're in it, sport is always short term, but your life is a long term project. Welcome to Actualize, a podcast focused on the intersection of performance, ambition, and mental health. I'm Rob Pantuala, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kim Foster-Yardley. Rather than fixate on the wins and successes, our mission is to uncover the whole picture of the human being behind the performance. Join us as we interview top performers across business, sport, and the arts. Actualize is presented by First Session. Have you ever considered trying therapy or simply just want to level up in your personal or professional life? I started First Session back in 2019 to help Canadians find the right mental health professional for them. Since then, we've connected thousands of Canadians with the right therapist, and I'm really passionate about helping each individual find the right fit in the therapist for them. We spend hours and hours interviewing therapists across Canada, and each one of them has a professional video for you to take a look at while you decide who might be the right fit for you. Check us out at firstsession.com. Actualize is also presented by the Mental Game Clinic. The Mental Game Clinic was founded by myself, Kim Foster Yardley. I combined my 20 years of experience as a clinical psychologist with my passion for sports psychology. And I built a team of therapists who specialize in working with high performers, Olympians, and founders. Find us at thementalgame.me. Today's guest is Yvette Yang. Yvette is a 15-time Team Canada Taekwondo athlete and a member of the Canadian Armed Forces. She is a three-time world Taekwondo champion and multiple international medalist, resulting in a world-ranked number one position in the female 46-kilogram category. A first for any Canadian. Yvette Yang, it's so incredibly exciting to be speaking to you today. Yeah, it's Um, so great to be here. So just because I think you have um, kind of so many different levels at which you've functioned at a high competitive level in the military, um, in your sport as well, and then, of course, taking it all the way to the Olympics. So we've got lots of questions to ask you today. <laughs> For sure. To, to start, I just want to ask you what it has been like to be a female in martial arts, you know, assuming that it's quite male dominated. I was curious about that. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, throughout history, there's a, it's mostly male dominated. Yeah. But you know, it actually never really bothered me. You know, people used to say, um, after I fought or when I was training, they're like, Oh, you fight like a boy. And like, the thing is like, I don't think they actually meant it in a bad way because it's just the history of it. You know, it was a male dominated sport. Um, people were not used to watching uh, females in sport in general, let alone fight. So, you know, I felt it as a compliment always. And yeah, no, I, I really just felt it as a compliment. And, and like, I wanted to be actually that example in the future. Instead of them saying, oh, you fight like a boy, I wanted them to say, wow, you fight like a vet. You know, so, and actually, um, recently there has been a lot of people like, oh, since I kind of semi retired or getting there, um, We've been watching a lot of fights and all these girls and they're like, wow, she fights like Yvette. And I'm like, yes, I did it. <laughs> yeah. So I know it's, it's, um, 
I didn't really bother me to to be a female in that sport because I knew that I wanted to help change that, that perspective of it. So, yeah, I love a good challenge. So you did have this idea that that you wanted to change the sport. Um, yes. What did that What did that ask of you? You know, like I'm just thinking, did it feel like added pressure, or, or was it motivation for you? Actually, there. No, I wouldn't call it pressure. I think it would call it motivation because a lot of the pressure that I have, I really tried to turn it into motivation. Um, and I just really wanted to be more of a positive change rather than being somebody to fight against it, you know, so changing that into a more positive um, direction for sure. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like you, I mean, it sounds like you feel like you've made an impact and I'm just wondering, you know, you say you're kind of semi-retired, um, does that mean you've been reflecting a lot on your sport and your history in your sport? And, and what have you been re- thinking about it? Yeah, now that I have more time to actually sit down, I mean, I have time to do this into or this podcast. Um, yeah, it's a lot of time to sit down and they're mainly very positive reflections and seeing how um, my experiences have has changed other people's perspectives, especially the younger generation. You know, thinking about all the the things that the parents say, all the coaches say, and what people are in generally saying about martial arts and in Taekwondo. You know, there's a lot more female practitioners now than before, especially. Um, and it's just great to see that. You know, I, I love to see that I can make an impact on the future generation of sport and in Taekwondo, especially um, a more male-dominated sport. Uh, because it's more based on fighting and you don't really see a lot of girls fight. <laughs> so yeah, I, I used to fight though in school, <laughs> but for the right reasons, so, <laughs> defending myself. I didn't just go up and fight anybody. It was just a, it was more about a, a defense, a defensive kind of um, uh, way. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've actually watched you fight. So, mm-hmm. um, and I noticed that when you're, when you're sparring, you have this very, um, you're a different person I would say I, just to me that's what it feels like when I when I see you off the mat on the mm-hmm. mat I wondered like what are some of the the mindsets that you adopt when you go onto the mat like that for you to be that because honestly you're ferocious like you're fierce and and I just wondered what some of those strategies are that you use yeah um so th- th- yeah a lot of people say that I've been called a lot of different things uh, in the ring <laughs> I've been called, I'll give you some examples. I've been called, uh, this was in, I think, a, a news report or something. It was, I was called a rabid pit bull. <laughs> I was called, um, like, oh, I, I just, I can't remember uh, mostly now, but yeah, a rabid pit bull. So when I am in the ring, it, it took me a while to kind of switch off and be in that mode and in that uh, mentality, in that state of mind. Because if you know me personally, I'm a very empathetic person. Like very. If somebody cries, I'll look at them and I'll start crying. <laughs> but I can't do that in sport. I can't do that when I'm literally fighting somebody else, right? And what helped me is that what my sister said, my sister told me because I was having a hard time. Like I didn't want to kick people in the face because I didn't want to hurt them. But my sport was literally kicking people <laughs> in the face. <laughs> Um, but so I had I had to talk with my sister and she told me that everybody's in there doing the same thing. If you're not going to do it, they're going to do it to you. 
So if I don't kick that person in the face, what I'm supposed to do, they're going to kick me in the face. And she's like, do you want to get kicked in the face? I'm like, absolutely not. And you know what? That's, that's so true. That's the only thing you have to think about. You're there to do a job. If you don't do it right, then you're not doing it. Then why bother, right? There's no importance of doing it if you're not going to do it the right way. And I've had zero problems with that um, in the fight. Like some of my best friends were the people that I competed against, the people that I kicked in the face, (laughs) the people that I've beaten and um, some, some of them have beaten me. So we're, we're literally there just to do our job. And that's what I have to think about when I'm in the fight. This is my job. I have to turn it on. I have to do my best because that's the only way I do things to a hundred percent. It's either, it's either, it's really funny. It's either zero or a hundred for me. I had, I had a question about that yeah. actually. And, mm-hmm. uh, sort of that intensity and the competitiveness. Mm-hmm. I imagine that as a Olympian and competitive athlete and being in the military, these are ways that you can put some structure around that intensity, I imagine. <laughs> but how, how have you learned, I guess, since your youth, you know, when did you, like a two-part question, when did you understand like your intensity like and competitiveness and like how has that had to fit in with the rest of your life outside of the competitions right that is how can i explain it there was just just so many things that i could say that how the intensity and the sport and martial arts in general has affected my life positively there's very few negative. The only negative thing is that I try to do everything the best. You know, the, I don't really know how to explain it. That's not a bad thing, but it is also because you don't want to be too intense in everything that you do, right? There's some things that don't need that much importance, some things that don't need competition always. And as a high-performance athlete and, and in the military and and training every day to reach peak performance it's very hard to do things um in an in an average kind of manner (laughs) if you will if i if i say it that way um and it's it's not a it's not a bad thing and it's not a good thing as well you have to find the balance right so finding the balance was very hard for me because everything that I did, I wanted to do at 100%. Like even just walking, I'll give you an example, walking to the the door and there's like three people walking beside you. And you just automatically want to walk faster because you want to get there faster. <laughs> you want to be the first. But there's no reason in doing that, right? So all these small things, like those are kind of negative effects that you have from always training at high performance and, and at, at a high level, just always trying to do your best. But that also has positive effects as well. Like you want to be the best and you want to find ways to be the best. And with that, it's, it's the problem solving. It's the anticipation. It's the, you know, you learn to work with other people to become the best because you know that you can't do it yourself. You know, if there's people who are, are good at other things or are better at other things, for example, in my team, I'm very fast. I'm very strong. But I need work with, um, you know, getting in there. And there's some people on my team who are very good at getting in close. So you use them and you use each other to get better. 
right? So it's a lot of positive and negative with that. Um, <laughs> was was there a point in your life where you was there like a switch between purely just being competitive with others and wanting to be the best in a crowd or a group versus trying to convert some of that competitiveness to your internal <laughs> barometer? <laughs> like, did you have to do that? Has that always been, is like, how do those two things balance, like beating others and then beating yourself? Oh yeah. First, we always beat ourselves up no matter what, right? Because you, when you are doing it yourself, there's nobody else to blame or, or give credit to other than yourself. Right. If you're working with other people, you can just say, oh, you know, it wasn't a good day for for that person. So as a team, we, we didn't do as well. You can always give that um, blame, per se, to, to somebody else, not to yourself. Right. But if you're doing it to yourself internally as a high performance athlete, we're always very hard on ourselves, no matter if we get to where we are. There's always something that we find that's wrong with us, something that we can um, uh, work towards, something that we can make better. And that's, that's the whole point of high performance, right? We know no limit. There is no limit for us because we push past the limit. And that's also a bad thing because we don't know what the limit is. Like, where do we stop? And in, in life, this actually leads to overwork and it leads to burnout, right? So that's, that's a really hard um, uh, thing for me to kind of understand. I have to really sit back and I have to ask for help from other people who are like in my everyday life. Like, is this, am I doing too much? Or am I doing too little? Like as a high performance athlete, it's very hard to know what that limit is outside of sport. I mean, I think the, the positive side to that is the, what it did for you in terms of your path to the Olympics. Could you speak a bit to what that path was like <laughs> and what it was to like Olympics. to be at Kenya? Yeah. Oh boy. Oh, my path to Olympics. Well, my path to Olympics started when I was nine years old. I, I knew that I wanted to get to the highest degree of that sport. So I started Taekwondo when I was nine as a birthday present. I actually wanted to join Kung Fu because my dad was a Kung Fu master uh, back in Malaysia. He didn't practice in Canada. Um, my mom was a track and field athlete, so I was just naturally athletic. And the, the closest school to our house was a, a Taekwondo school, so I just joined and I was ecstatic. Um, but my path to Olympics, my real path to Olympics, um, like a, a mental path, was two weeks before the Olympics game. Two weeks before I actually fought because that was when I found out that I was going to the Olympics. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole another story about that. But um, uh, to the point, I found out two weeks before I left. And... I mean, I was happy, I was sad, I was frustrated, I was excited. There was all these emotions that just like went all throughout my mind. Um, it was an emotion, like it was an emotional roller coaster for about two days, like the first two days. As I was telling everyone the news, I was I was really happy that I made it, that my dream like finally came true, and all that hard work, the sacrifice, the endless training, and and the money spent. But it was also a bittersweet feeling. It was hard work, the sacrifice, all the same words, but you can say it in two different tones, you know? So <laughs> it was until like the second day where I was like, man, two weeks, I have two weeks and you're telling me I have two weeks to go to the Olympic games, the hard work, the sacrifice, the training, the money that I spent, like it, it, I became a little bit bitter, but 
it was that point after that two days, like I said, I was ecstatic. Then I was bitter. Then I was like, I can't use this excuse for my entire life's work, right? So when I thought about it, I took some time and I really had to take some time for myself because everybody around me was happy. Everybody who's been through and, and um, known my journey from when I was younger all the way to the Olympic Games, they know what I've gone through. They've known everything. So I had to separate myself and I really had to think about it. But I knew I had to focus and get over it because my goal since I was nine, I've been training. I have to think about it. I've been training over 20 years of this. 20 years of this to get to that place. I can't just use the excuse of, oh, I just found out two weeks ago. No, that's not it. Like I, I literally made this goal when I was nine and I had to go back and remember that, right? Because all these things that happen in your day to day, everything that uh, is happening around you can really, um, can really confuse you of your own self, right? So I, I knew I had to think back and, and say that my goal started when I was nine years old. So I actually had 20 years of practice. 20 years to get ready for this, not the two weeks. Um, and I I don't really like to use that story anymore. Like, this is what I told everybody because it was true. I had two weeks before I, I, I went to Olympics and, you know, I had to start from zero, but I didn't. I had all this experience with me, all this. Um, and I just have one word that really described my entire journey to the Olympics, either from the two weeks point or from when I was nine years old. And that word is resilience i've it was over 20 years of training over 20 years of everything the ups and downs and resilience really taught me to basically um, bounce back from anything that brought you down basically which is literally fighting <laughs> um so yeah my my path to the olympics that one word i can describe it is just res resilience Thank you. I, I just, I, I wanted to just ask you a little bit more about some of those sacrifices that you needed to make, because I think we often get this, we, we, you know, the social media, the Instagram, the glam, we see all the successes, we see all the victories. And you and I, we've had conversations in the past about actually, there's a lot of those 20 years contain a lot of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a bit to the hardship? Because I, I also, the reason I'm asking this question as well, Yvette, is because to me, it seems that people out there have a misconception that resilience means the absence of hardship and the absence of painful emotions and the absence of difficulty. But really? actually, <laughs> yeah, like, but actually resilience is, is actually what comes from those difficulties. And so I'd really curious to hear more about that from you. Um, this is a hard one. <laughs> There's so many places where I want to start off with. So how I overcame resilience, I mean, First of all, my sport is very, very physical. Um, it's basically just pushing your body to limit. We're, we're not just using one part of our body, right? And we're not just using just our body. We're, we have to use our mind as well. It's a fighting. We have strategy. We have to do physical. We're punching. We're kicking. We're moving. We're almost wrestling with each other when we fight. So physical resilience is definitely, um, we have a lot of that. Um, but the mental aspect of resilience is is pretty difficult. It's pretty challenging for for Taekwondo athletes, especially who want to reach the Olympic Games, uh, because it's not only that one fight that we have to win. There is a, a point system that we have to um, follow, and 
if we don't, wait, let me rephrase that. We have to continue fighting. And if we lose one fight, we have to continue anyways. Because if we don't, then somebody else is going to take your spot. So it's actually like a race. Um, so for example, in one year, there is about like maybe three or four competitions a month. And if you don't go to all of those competitions and somebody else does go, they actually get more points than you. And then the next month, you're going to be under in points and they're going to be on top. And basically, it's a race to get points and to win. So in both ways, it's very, um, it's very taxing on the mind and the body, right? So you have to understand that if you lose one fight, it's not the end of the world. You have to keep going. You can't just take that loss. You know, some people win that one fight and they're like, oh, I have to take a rest now. I have to, you know, reset. No, you don't, we don't have time for that. We just got to keep going. And the thing is that when you realize that you do that, that, that six-minute fight, so our, our fight is actually six minutes long, that six-minute fight doesn't have to be the end of the world. It ends, and you got to keep going. So when we start to understand that, it just becomes easier to move on. Right? When I was little, when I was nine years old, I, fight, I lost. I obviously cried. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to lose all the time. But my mom was like, no, you're not going to lose all the time. This is just one fight, six minutes of your entire life. How many fights do you think you're going to have for the rest of your life, right? You're going to have way more. And if you act like this right now, you're not going to get anywhere. You have to brush it off and you got to keep going. I love that. That's an amazing <laughs> explanation of how <laughs> I imagine a lot of the resilience. Of, like, I'm curious where that has played out in the rest of your life. Um, you know, like that, never, you know, pick yourself up, keep going. It's not just mm -hmm. one and done. Um, where, ha where have you feel like you've benefited maybe from that mindset outside of the sport? Honestly, in almost everything and almost everything. It's just that when you do something, you know, that that thing is going to end someday, right? So you either think about it your whole life and not go anywhere or you move on, right? When you move on, you realize that the things in the past don't, are, are only a, a, a fraction of what your whole life is, right? So if you always keep thinking about that one thing, you're never going to move on. So in my mind, I have to keep thinking that there's other things in my life that I need to do that I need to accomplish and not think about the things that uh, you weren't successful at because everybody has to try all these things to become successful. They have to find success, right? You have to work towards success, not, not one idea and then, keep focusing on that right if it doesn't work you got to move on was there a time when your interests or motivation shifted towards like your own success more so to the success of others like was that a did that happen I've, I've heard you mention kind of giving back to the sport and you know being a leader and having your name mentioned as like you know someone fighting like you um did, was that a gradual shift in, in sort of like being more interested in the impact and in, in, in helping others? Or was it sort of like, okay, like I'm past my prime and I need to do this? Or like, you know, how did that look? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely am a person that loves working with people and that loves to uh, share my knowledge. And I realized that to actually give um, 
uh, knowledge that is uh, useful to other people is that I have to I have to have more experience. I have to have all the knowledge. And I've always wanted to work with people and teach them and, and share my experiences. But I first had to create my um, image per se. I don't know how to say it another way. Um, create uh, my own image and create and gather all the experience so that I could really give that back to the other athletes and to the younger generation. Because as an athlete, uh, as a younger athlete myself, I've always looked up to those um, those famous athletes out there who are successful athletes. And I've always wanted to know how they got to where they were. And I wanted to know the real stuff, you know, not just the, the simple words like, oh, I worked hard and then I got there. No, I want to know the real stuff. There's There's no story that doesn't have uh, a failure there is no story that does not have any failure and that people have to accept that and to know that they can't know all the successful stories and and just getting there with no no um you know hardships along the way there's always failure in a success story and i wanted to be that example for other people because this is this is more realistic and it is more um, uh, relatable to everybody else. And I, I would rather the people in, in the future generation to know that first rather than getting to a place where they don't want to be, you know, getting to a place where they're um, mentally stuck or they're psychologically stuck or physically stuck. Um, and I just wanted to be that example to, to show them how to do it. And, and even if you're in your, your lowest time of your life in your sports career, there's always a way that you can get past that. And that is, again, resilience. I wanted to ask about if you could give me an example of a low point in your life that you've even perhaps used to coach other, other athletes um, and, and what that low point was and how you got through it. So... I have been on the national team since the, the senior national team since I was uh, 16 years old. So that's the first year that I could get on the senior national team. And I've been from 2006 until 20, uh, 2021. So a very long time. <laughs> and I have never lost a national games uh, since then. But in I forgot which year that was. I it was either twenty no it wasn't twenty twenty maybe sixteen or fifteen or somewhere in the middle of my career. We had a, a double elimination game, so you could have a chance to lose and then you can win again. Um, and for the first time in my career, I lost that third fight, and it was the worst feeling in the world. I have never lost a national games ever. And this is the first time that I have lost. And the thing is the crowd was like crazy, you know, like who, and I, and now I understand why, because you, you always want an underdog to win. You always want to see somebody else beat somebody who is like amazing. Right. And I, I can totally see that from this perspective, this perspective now, I'm like, wow, amazing. You just beat one of the best people in the world. Like, of course they're happy. Of course the crowd's happy. But I felt that as like uh, sort of an attack on me, you know, 
like everybody in the stadium was like, yeah, you beat her. But the thing is, I had my I had a chance to come back again, but it was very difficult because when you feel that the whole world is against you, how do you how do you get back? How do you prove yourself again? Like, where do you get that support? And so what I did was like I to sit down. I didn't talk to anybody. I actually locked myself in the washroom. <laughs> I don't think I've ever told anybody this. And I thought it was silly before because, you know, I'll tell you what I did. I, I went to the washroom. I looked in the mirror and I started crying to myself and I looked at myself I'm like, man, you look so stupid. Like, <laughs> why are you crying? Like, what is that going to do for you? You know, like when you look at yourself acting the way you are, you finally realize what to do. I said, you don't need to cry. What you need to do. And I should talk to myself like you don't need to cry because that's not going to help you. What you need to do is get yourself together go out there because you know that you're the best. You know that you can get, you can beat that person. Sometimes things happen and whatever, you know, it happens. So what? It's not your best day. That happens. You cannot be the best every single day, but you can get better. All right. You cannot be the best every single day, but you can get better. And me being better, beat that person in the next fight. It's not because I was the best. It's because I am better. Right. So that's one of my mottos. Practice makes better. It never makes makes best. I always say that to everybody because, you know, you can always get better. It doesn't mean that you're the best. You can always get better. And when I have students who are in the same kind of situation and I know that they were capable of beating this person or or, or kicking higher or, or kicking stronger than this other person. They used the entire um, they used everybody else's emotions to prevent themselves from doing better. And what I said is, <laughs> I said, go to the washroom, lock yourself in there, <laughs> look at yourself in the mirror, and I want you to tell yourself that you're the best. If you don't think that you're the best, if you don't think that you can do better, tell yourself that you can do better. And if you look at yourself in the mirror and you think that you're lying to yourself, then don't come back out until you say that you can do better. And that that really helped a lot of students that I worked with because it, there's nobody around you to, to force you to do anything, to force you to say anything. You have to be okay with yourself first, right? So that's why I said, don't care about what anybody else says, go into that room by yourself. And when you can admit it to yourself, then you're going to be more successful. Then you're going to be more resilient, right? You don't need everybody else around you to, to lead your life for you. You first need to lead your life. You first need to make your own decisions, right? And guess what? Student came out, won the next fight. <laughs> Did you have anyone in your life that was this figure, like that you're describing this kind of motivational <laughs> source of wisdom for younger athletes? Like, did you have someone like that in your life to help you find this? Absolutely. Fruit? Oh, absolutely. Uh, my mother. My mother is the one that taught me everything. My mother is the one that taught me all the things that I'm telling you right now. She is the most resilient person in the world. Since I was like, I, since I could talk, she was telling me to be resilient. Not, not that word, because I wouldn't understand it, but the things that she taught me, right? When I, I, I did so many other sports when I was younger, I was always interested in skating. So, and, um, my mom, she would, she would be so supportive in all the things that I would do. So 
I was interested in skating. And she's like, hey, why don't you try speed skating out? I knew nothing about speed skating. And so I went into it and I loved it. But the thing is that she put me in, <laughs> she put me in a, a kind of more advanced class. Even though I was very athletic, I still didn't know the right things to do. So I was just watching and competing. And I felt very, very out of place, like very out of place. And I, I told him, like, oh, I don't want to go back anymore because I just feel out of place. I didn't have the right equipment. I didn't have this. I didn't have like, all the things that everybody was like having, you know, at that age, you're kind of like, oh, I want to be like everybody else. <laughs> right. And I, I went back home. My mom's like, why? Why are you telling me this? Do you like skating? I was like, yeah. She's like, do you like racing? I was like, yes. She's like, do you like winning? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Then why does it matter what you're wearing? Why does it matter who's around you? Why does it matter? Like what everybody else thinks it, it doesn't matter. Like if you love what you're doing, if you're good at it and if you enjoy it, then just do it. You know, like it doesn't matter what anybody else is thinking. Like it's your life. Don't let other people run your life. Right. It was as simple as that. Was there ever a time when you, when you felt like you were doing some of it as a younger person for your mother? like to prove anything to them or, or did they, did your mother kind of give you this identity, like your own identity or the courage for your own identity early, early on? Uh, well, I, I'm very much like her. <laughs> um, she was the type of person that was resilient as well in her own kind of sports career. She, in, in back in Malaysia, she was a, a track and field athlete. And uh, she was like, she did shot put, she did running. Um, <laughs> she was so resilient to, how do I say this? She was so resilient that it was, it was crazy. You know, she would sneak out because her parents wouldn't allow her to do racing or, or running of any kind. Because she had something, I'm not sure, like something with her heart at that moment when she was younger. But her brothers would be there to, to support. So she snuck out, she was running. And she wanted to win uh, to bring something back home or like, you know, something that, that she would, her parents would be proud of. And she ran so hard that she couldn't breathe, but she won the race and that she fell at the very end. <laughs> and then her brothers came, like, practically carry her away. Like, this was the kind of mentality that my mom had. And I think that, you know, not to that extent, but <laughs> I'm like, mom, what are you doing? You're crazy. Like, she's like, I don't know. I was like, I want to be the best. I want to do it. I want to, to you know, but I, I'm, I feel that I'm very much like her and um, her, her determination and her drive, um, like everything that she, she tried, she tried to pass it on uh, in a, in a better way, <laughs> like to me. Um, so, yeah. Did you ever feel like you, you, did you ever feel sorry for yourself when you were younger that you thought you had like a, a, a tough mother or tough parent oh absolutely yeah when you're that young you don't know anything you think that they're trying to, to punish you <laughs> you know and there was a lot of times where i'm like why why do you want me to do this like i i'm so tired i don't want to do this but the thing is like when you're younger you don't really understand why you're doing it you don't understand what the hardship is until you're an adult right that's why adults take care of children that's why we we teach them right we they need guidance and um, yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, I don't know if this is like a weird question, but uh, I'm wondering, did you ever, do you love Taekwondo? Do you love your sport? And was there ever a time where you 
where you lost your love for the sport? <laughs> so many times. <laughs> and that's the truth. I mean, your emotions go up and down all the time. Um, I, in the end, I love the sport. I, I love it. Like, this is my life. I, I could say that I could quit for, I don't ever want to do it again, but there's like always time when you're walking around in the house and like kicking the air, you know, you don't even know that, right? This is, it is my life, but at times, I have to say at times, I hated it because of what I had to do and because of all the, the, the feelings and emotions that came with it, you know, like I have to, just to win, um, just to be on top of the game, just to be number one in the world again, I have to go to another competition to fight just to secure that spot, you know, like, but I didn't want to do that because I was exhausted. I was tired. I didn't want to travel again. I didn't want to, you know, get hurt again. I was injured also. There's that time, there's times when you absolutely hate it. Like when you wake up in the morning, you have to train three times a day. I didn't want to go for that first training. I'm like, I quit. I don't want to do it anymore. But deep down, I don't want to. It's just that you, you, it's, it's a bittersweet, you know, you have to do it, but then it is all worth it in the end. It really is. But I have to definitely say that I, I never, I didn't love Taekwondo throughout my entire career. <laughs> There's times I really hated it and I wanted to quit, but it's all part of it. It's all part of it. At this current stage of your career, where you've been to the Olympics now a few years ago, and you're, you know, considering your next moves, <laughs> what are some of your current, you know, deliberations and challenges that are, you know, what, what are you, if not, like, what do you think you'll have to get better at to make a transition away from the highest competitive level? I have to chill up. <laughs> I have to be more relaxed. It's very hard. It's difficult. And I, I say this like uh, for a lot of athletes too, who are at that high level, it's very hard to just sit back and sit down and do nothing for two minutes without even thinking about something to do. You know, we have to relax. And that's one of the hardest things for me to do. I cannot relax. I'm always thinking about the next move. And I don't know if it's because of Taekwondo or it's because I'm a high performance athlete, because in Taekwondo, you always have to anticipate the next movement. It's like a physical game of chess, basically. <laughs> um, but for me, it, it's very hard to just relax and, and try to do things at a normal pace, you know, even walking you know, with my partner outside, we're taking a walk. I'm like racing. Like, <laughs> like where are you racing to? Like, I don't know. It's just normal for me to always be like, I'm always getting somewhere, always going somewhere, always trying to, to make my next move. Right. So that's one of the hardest things that, that uh, in my day-to-day -day life that I have to change just to relax. And, and Is this an, is it an individual, like, uh project for you uh, you know like is this an individual focus for you or are you able to like maybe look at some um you know older professional athletes that may that you see maybe have made this transition to <laughs> chilling out uh and like ask them like how the heck did they do it like you know like, yeah. or is it like yeah well, to tell us tell us a little bit about this absolutely this so yeah, a, a lot of my friends actually are, are a lot older than me. They are um, the generation that was before me. So a lot of my friends were ex-athletes on the same team as me in the same club. So I've always kind of got along with the older athletes. And I think mainly because of my older sister. She's five years older than me. So I had a really close relationship with her. And I still do. 
So I was generally, uh, you know, I moved towards like the older age group and I was always the youngest one. <laughs> I was the one that was still competing, but we all still hang out together. We all still talk with each other and uh, have dinners. And, you know, there's, they said one of the hardest things is to kind of transition from that high performance of doing everything at a hundred percent and just like relaxing. Right. But I see a lot of them that are very successful in what they do now because, because first of all, that they were, they had their mindset like that. But the thing is that you have to change your physical aspect. Your mindset doesn't need to change, but your physical does, right? You need to relax your body, but you need to keep your mind up and going, thinking always, right? So that's that's one of the hardest things that I had trouble with. But speaking to them and talking to them about that kind of transition really helped me. And they said, you know, it's it's not easy, but you really have to to practice. You have to practice to slow down. Isn't that weird? <laughs> What we practice all our lives was to be fast, but now we have to practice and train to be slower and to to kind of like take in everything all at once and then kind of do it in a more long-term, kind of like a a long-term project and a goal. Because right now, sport is always short-term, right? No matter how long you're in it, sport is always short-term, but your life is a long-term project. So you really have to train to, to take it back a little bit and, and, work on that long-term project it makes sense to you yeah <laughs> kim i know you have a good follow-up question okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm just yeah you know i'm thinking about the the role of mentors like the way you were talking now about like these mentors and i i just wondered do you have a plan like you know is that an audacious question for me to ask you but do you have a plan like what what's what's next for you what are you doing at the moment yeah so for me, I have all this energy inside of me, in my mind, in my body, and I need to channel that energy into a more like long-term project. You know, I, I like to address things as projects because I know that they all have an end to it. And that's not a bad thing at all because it just means you can keep finding new projects to do and to, to venture into, right? And life is full of projects. Like one can be two days, the other one can be... 20 years like my sports career (laughs) and um, I've always had this interest in helping other people and it just came naturally to me so for me my project would be to kind of channel all that experience my knowledge and and everything that I've learned as an athlete as a leader as a military member um, as a person as a woman as a female in sport as anything that you can ever think of for me uh, I wanted to share that experience and knowledge to other people who would take it and, and benefit from it, you know, whether it be um, training them in fitness, uh, teaching them Taekwondo, being a mentor to younger athletes, um, teaching basically anything. I, I just want to share that knowledge with everybody, you know, so that's that's my, my next uh, long-term goal. And that's very broad and very open because it's, I cannot set my mind to one thing. I, can't, I cannot just say, I, I want to do this and that's it. My, to make it simple, I want to work with people and help people and share my knowledge and my experience. That's amazing. Is there a particular population background uh, that you feel either you can relate to more in terms of like giving back or maybe they can relate to you more? Like, is there a group of people specifically that you're more, maybe more drawn to or more passionate about giving back to? 
Yeah, definitely.、Um, because of my background and my experience, I can definitely give back a lot to the the, the sports industry or like the the fitness and the, the martial arts.、Um, a lot of people there's there's actually over 80 million practitioners、uh, of Taekwondo in the world. Did you know that? <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot.、Um, and I feel that that's that's the the people that can relate to me most.、Um, and Whether it be a young athlete or like even an older athlete, male, female, any race, any country, like martial arts is is martial arts. Like anybody can do it, right? So I I feel that that's the the population or that that can relate to me the most, and anybody, really anybody. There's no limit to that. That's amazing. One more question, just about. Yeah, for sure. The just general general relationships with folks, like I, I, you know, as you're training yourself to relax more. <laughs> uh, <laughs> before that training started, when when you were just purely focused on output and you know winning,、mm-hmm. getting better. Uh, is it hard to relate with people who are not like focused on getting better and winning? Like, how do you? You know, <laughs> deal with that speed. Is it frustrating? Right. It is. It is, but it isn't. And you have to understand that these people are are the, the people who are not kind of like in that same level as you or that same mentality as you. It's it's just not who they are, right? I this is who I am, and there's nothing wrong with those people. It's just that that they're on their own level, they're on their own speed, they're on their own time, and I respect that. And they should respect like mine, mine too. So I surround myself with people who are like-minded and people who can make me better. It's actually like they tell you, show me your five closest friends and tell you who you are, right?、Um, and I, I really do surround myself with people who I think I can learn from, who I can,、um, you know, where we can share ideas and benefit from each other and and make each other better. Yeah. And if, if the people who are not on my level, I try to help them too. If they don't want it, then they don't want it, right? So you gotta respect everybody at their own level and their own time in life.、Um, maybe it's not their time yet. I mean, I wasn't always like this, you know, go go go. I wasn't always doing everything a hundred percent. But I learned from that, and I'm, I feel that that's you know that's better for me. So I don't know. If I'm changing the subject slightly, and I don't know if it's、um, you may have spoken to this a bit, but I wondered, do you have any regrets? Looking back at the last twenty years, no regrets. <laughs> no, <laughs> I definitely have no regrets.、Uh, sorry, that was a <laughs> you know that、uh, some people have that tattoo. No regrets. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, no, I most definitely can say that I have no regrets at all、um, in what I did in my life, and mainly because. If I never lived the life that I had lived, I would never gotten any of the specific experiences that I've had and that have shaped me into the person I am today. Right, so I, I definitely have no regrets at all. Maybe my my last question might be, as far as、uh, younger, ambitious people who may feel like they have,、um, maybe they feel like they're at a disadvantage because of. You know their their gender or their background or they're coming from an immigrant family and 
just being a minority or uh, in a in a sport or in a profession that's you know their minority. Like, mm-hmm. what what would you tell them if they are feeling like more of you know at the you know less less in control and more of like a kind of a victim, um, perhaps? What would I tell them? Well, I would tell them to not use that as something to drive yourself. You know, that's, this is what other people, this is, it goes back to the same thing as what my mother told me, right? Who cares what people think about you? Who cares about what they say about you? Who cares about what, um, you know, there's, I said, what they're saying about you, what they're thinking about you. It doesn't matter because in the end, this is you. You have to be okay with it at first. You have to be, you have to accept it yourself first, right? You have to be confident in yourself first. If you're not confident in yourself, you will allow other people to run your life. You will allow other people to come into your mind and, and, you know, make you think about something else, make you think in another direction. You have to be confident in yourself first and you have to accept yourself first. So I would suggest them again, lock yourself in the washroom. <laughs> you don't have to lock yourself, but just look yourself in the mirror and say, what are these people going to do for you? What can you do for yourself? Right. You have to look at yourself and say, what can you do about it? You can either complain about it. You can either, you know, fight them back at it. But when you're doing that, you're wasting your own time to work on yourself. You're really wasting your own time to work on yourself where you can ignore that negative energy. Okay. And work on yourself first, and then people will really see what's inside of you, really see whether you are at a disadvantage, whether you are, um, you know, from a a place that, you know, cannot give you all the things that you need. Do the best of yourself. Do everything that you can in your power first. People can see confidence. I mean, I, I really love what you're saying. Yvette, you're just so inspiring to speak oh, to, yeah. honestly. Like I just because what I'm hearing is that there's so many times where people don't back their own play, you know, if I want to put it in a sports analogy. And 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 you really truly talk speaking to that to me around that sense of agency. Like actually, you know, I'm using a bit more of the sports psych terminology, but <laughs> that real sense of like, like it's my responsibility. I'm gonna take responsibility for my decisions. I choose this, you know, I'm hearing that in what you're saying. Um, But also like backing yourself first and then going out there. And I, and, and, and I I think that is so inspiring and, and so, and so important for athletes and high performers to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't even just, uh, you know, it's not only in sport, it can be in anything in your work life, in your job, in your hobbies and in all the things that you do really. I mean, the other piece that I thought as well that I that was so important in what you were saying is not letting the failures define you. Like they happen and then they're gone. It's in the past and you move on to the next one. Yeah. There's no success without failure. Absolutely. This is all from my mom too. You know, she actually just messaged me too. Oh, there's another thing that she's... She's so good at this. She doesn't even know that she's an inspiring person. She was sending me pictures of uh, like old pictures that I've had uh, with her and because she, she was just looking through old pictures. And I, I replied to her, oh, my goodness, I look horrible because you always think that you look horrible in the past. 
And she's like, you look always great. It's the inner part of you that truly matters. Always remembering that you can be Miss, Miss World, but without the genuine true beauty at heart, it means nothing. She just wrote that to me. <laughs> We got to get your mom on the podcast. Oh, yeah. You got to get her on the podcast. Yeah. Wow, that's so funny. What a champion. Um, Yvette, is there anything else you wanted to speak to? I mean, we've asked all these questions. Was there something you wanted to, to say or something we didn't touch on that you wanted to speak to around mental well-being and high performance? No, I just the, – the, the main thing I always want to say is just practice always makes better. And that's like a – um. Because you can always be better every day. It doesn't matter if you're better at 50%. It doesn't matter if you're 100% better every day. 1%, all it takes, even 0.5, right? It's, it's, you just have to strive towards being better for your own self first before you let other people try to, you know, control you in that way, right? You have to be okay with yourself first. You have to be confident in yourself first. And Really, practice makes better. That's like that's the saying I love to say all the time to everybody, all my students as well. And and what about someone? So you because we've spoken about people who are because now you're going into kind of your second stage of your career. Like you've had a complete career now, and you're transitioning into a second career essentially. Um, and I actually was thinking of this selfishly in terms of myself because I love Taekwondo. I also mm-hmm. started Taekwondo because there was a school very close by. So it's funny, it was a locational issue as well, but fell in love with the sport. But now that I'm in my 40s, there's only so far I can take the sport because of my physical limitations as a 40, 40 something year old. You're already shaking your head. So I just yeah, I just want to know like what advice do you have for people like me who's going into my like is as a second career doing my sport or or, or you actually for yourself transitioning from one career to the other, do you have any um, insights into that or advice? Right. Again, so Kim, this is again what other people are saying. What does age matter? What does that matter to you? It's the stereotype. Oh, you're too old to be starting this. It's, it's what everybody else is saying. But do you believe it? Can you do it? Are you strong? Are you healthy? Are you confident enough? This is all you. Anything actually is possible. Anything is possible. But what you're saying right now, oh, do you think I'm like a little, you know, I've started really late, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> hey, take that out. <laughs> no, but that, that really are just, those are really just excuses. What you hear from other people. And you don't realize that, right? Because everybody else is saying, oh, you know, started at this age and, you know, I don't know if it's like good enough for me and, you know, all these kind of things. But these are actually from other people. I think you can do it. You can get to wherever you want to get, really. If you make it your goal, it doesn't matter how long it takes for you to get there. This is just one goal, just one project, right? I really think that you need to to say, to, you need to go to the washroom, Kim, <laughs> look in the mirror, <laughs> tell yourself that you can do it. <laughs> I love it. Thanks. Thanks for coaching me a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, because this has been very, very inspirational, and your energy is infectious. And I imagine you've got tons more impact ahead of you to anyone you're working with, uh, anyone who's lucky enough to be in your wake. Uh, so thank you for sharing this all with us. Absolutely, anytime, anytime at all. <laughs>
we might ask you to come back. <laughs> oh, for sure. I'm always open to it. Anything. Anything. Yeah, okay. we, can get, we can dig deeper into other topics too. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, maybe we'll do that. Thank you again and a good time to end it. So have a great rest of your day. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Actualize podcast. You can find the show notes for this episode, as well as all other episodes at firstsession.com slash podcast. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time.